0: Welcome to the Sheformance podcast, the show about toys, why we like them and their connection to bigger topics.
1: I'm your co-host Darby and we're going to talk about the current state of Star Trek
0: And I'm your co-host Sugu and join us tonight as we we've talked about streaming and we've talked about Brandon Sanderson and we've talked about empty wells and now join us tonight as we turn our laser focus onto Star Trek.
1: By way of introduction, I'm Darby Harn, a freelance writer and editor and an independent author. Publishers Weekly called my novel Ever the Hero an entertaining debut, which uses superpowers as a metaphor to delve into class politics and an alternate America. You can find more information about me and my books at DarbyHarn.com. I'm also on Twitter at darbyharn.
0: And I'm Sugu, your co-host. I work in IT and education, and I'm also passionate about writing and story. You can find some of my travel writings on allaboutjapan.com, where I've written various articles about my life and perspectives in Japan. Tonight, Darby and I are going to take our own style of a Wisecrack Edition YouTube, (laughs) Uh, and we're going to talk about the philosophy of Star Trek. Uh, An article came out recently from The New Atlantic, Uh, Talking about Star Trek and its existential liberalism. Which, uh, I'll be honest. At first, I got red flags all over that. Uh, Oh, sorry. Exhausted liberalism. I got red flags Mm -hmm. waving all over some of the language that they use. Uh, uh, The new Atlantis, by the way, is the uh, journal that it it was published in. Anyway... Um, so we thought we'd kind of take a, take a stab at our reaction to this and, uh, see what is going on with Star Trek in the modern world. So, uh, Darby, do you want to start us off about why Captain Picard has two tears coming down his eyes? (laughs) Sad Picard.
1: Um, I thought this was interesting. This came up. There's been a lot of discourse in the last couple weeks or so about the cancellation of Star Trek Discovery on Paramount Plus and what seemed to be uh, some uh, (laughs) to the cheers of a rather vocal part of the fan base uh, of Trekkies. And I, I wondered why that was. I wondered, again, why I Discovery is the show that I simply cannot get into. Um, and why, you know, why is that? <clears throat> um, and then this article by Alan Rome appeared recently. Uh, la- it was published last year. Uh, it started circulating at least... Uh, When I discovered it it was in the last week or so it kind of came up and I think it was in regards to this conversation that's been going on for a while but certainly in the last couple weeks about the end of Discovery the state of Star Trek you have the end of Discovery which a very vocal part of fandom seems to regard as is not good slash a failure in contrast with star trek picard season three which is currently ongoing which fandom has responded very positively to this is i would say out of the new iteration of star trek that began with discovery this right now is the most enthusiastic most positive and most well received anything that they've done um there's a huge sort of sigh of relief because a lot of people were unhappy with Picard season one and two and uh, they're happy to have our next generation people back and they're also happy that even though it is in one way a nostalgia fest it's not it's new it's different it's challenging it's taking these characters that we love in different places and um pushing them and um and it is addressing some overdue questions about the current state of affairs in the 25th century and also really star trek writ large and so i thought this article was interesting the article it to sum it up we'll link to it so people can read it um it's a long engaging read it's um very well considered it gives you a lot to think about, um, to sort of nod your head at, and also disagree with. And its basic thesis is that the reason that um, Star Trek is in the state, it is, the franchise is where it is at, is because it has um, its guiding principles, which was uh, liberalism and progressivism, which which it launched with in 1966, have been exhausted and Star Trek no longer projects or looks forward and is no longer driving its uh, ideology but is reacting to a failed ideology. Or the ideology is in, re- is in retreat because of the state of the world. Um, I think you can probably look at it a couple different ways. I found it interesting for... There are interesting things that it brings up, and there's one thing in particular I, I do want to sort of discuss, which has to do with things we've talked about on the pod before. Um, I think it has interesting things to say about the current state of Star Trek franchise, which not just goes back to Discovery, but really the 2009 J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie, which is where things really started to go wrong. Um and they have to do with things that we've discussed elsewhere on the pod, which have to do with the current state of media, franchises, worldview, Snyder Cut, on and on and on, grim and gritty, things that are that are impacting Star Trek as well. And they have been, arguably, going back to Deep Space Nine, where people thought that took a turn towards the dark and the grim and gritty, and that was a betrayal of Gene Roddenberry's vision. I don't think it was. A lot of people do. And a lot of people to this day resent that and a lot of people think that the introduction of some of those elements section 31 on um, poison the franchise and they have led to this fixation on the dark that has been pervasive in some modern star trek he doesn't really lay that at the feet of deep space nine here at alan rome but some people have um and I thought also this was interesting in context of what I hear a lot about Discovery and Modern Star Trek from other Star Trek fans that I disagree with. But then I, I thought, is there something to what they're saying that isn't them just sort of being, you know, a certain generation older than mine? I was a, you know, I, I'm a Star Wars baby. There's a There's a generation older than I am, kids who grew up in the late 60s early 70s watching Star Trek who have a vastly different sense of what Star Trek is than I do um, and what it means you know who are Kirk babies who are Spock babies and is there something in what they're saying that's you know oh it's wrong It's this is you know new Star Trek is trash are they right is there something to what they're saying so that I found it fascinating for those reasons but that is all to say so so you've read it what do you you think about it sort of i guess the high level what do we think about it and then we can kind of go from there break it down
0: yeah i think there's a disease going on in the world uh put put simply (laughs) um i think that star trek as you're saying is is another victim of this idea of uh everything sucks like just everything must be dark and gritty because that's the reality of life and all literary value must be a deconstructing life because it all sucks like Mm. I I, I get tired of that personally Um, Mm. and I think that that's what happens a lot but at the same time, I think there is validity in going deeper than, uh, than maybe what we, we had known. You know, like you mentioned Deep Space Nine and Section 31. Well, let's be honest. The Federation, in order to be so high-minded, it probably does have to have some sort of secret underlying group that kind of works in the shadows. If you want to be realistic. Well, let me, let me clarify that even me saying that, that that's more realistic to have to have a secret group that behind the shadows, even that betrays the cynicism that's happening. And it's not just Star Trek, Superman, truth, justice, and the American way, but now all that's gone. Uh, you mentioned the Snyder Cut. Joker is the opposite of that. Joker has was this like pure evil, but now we want to sympathize and empathize with him and understand the darker the reality of him. I think that there is some validity to adding all of these dimensions to the world into the franchises that we all grew up and loved and loved. But I also think that there's a, a bit of going too far where where we're, where nobody is good or bad anymore. It's all just different shades of gray. And I and I think that well, that let, can also be a problem. Let me
1: ask then, does that do you think then that that that, that what you just said that there's a limit to to that idea, a limit to shades of gray. Is that a reflection of then his thesis? So Alan Rome says, I'll quote the second paragraph real quick here, so people kind of know what we're talking about. Quote, these two different images of the future, Captain Picard, Commander Captain Burnham, These two different images of the future come from different parts of the Star Trek franchise, from when Captain Picard debuted in 1987 to Commander Burnham, now Captain Burnham's first appearance in 2017 in Discovery. The future has become freighted with pessimism, not mainly due to a change in creative vision, but rather to America's changing conception of itself. Star Trek's evolving understanding of liberal ideology its visions of utopia, history, and otherness reveal America's gradual loss of faith in liberalism itself, unquote. Is that true? Has there been a loss of faith in liberalism in America?
0: I don't think so, uh, because at the end of his article, I also don't agree with. Um, uh, we'll, we'll get there, uh, but I, I don't agree with that that America's gradual loss of faith in liberalism, I I don't think that's necessarily true. I do think that the American empire is in decline. Um, I think that for a lot of reasons, there's always been, you know, you know me, I've been in, I work in education and technology. I do think that while there has been a constant undercurrent of anti-intellectualism throughout American history. I think it's reached a fever pitch a fever pitch recently where like it, it used to be sometime in the nebulous past that parents would tell their kids, stay in school because education you, you got to get an education to improve your life. But somehow that's kind of shifted to go make money. And to me, a great example of that is the movie Limitless, where here is the main character who takes a pill, okay, uh, to enhance his brain power. Okay, fine. What does he do with it? What does he do with all that power? He works the stock market. I think that is a big indicator of what's been going on with american values and american uh morality which is that it's all about capitalistic greed and, and that is where star trek kind of can't handle it because star trek has gone past capitalism
1: i star trek has gone past capital star trek exists in a post-scarcity uh utopia
0: but not just scarcity it, but post um post individual post well short-sighted profit
1: it seems that way but i think what this article is saying and a lot of people are saying is that that's not true that it's not post individual because the individual has crept back into um the four uh and when i hear that from some people i think that they're like they're they're sort of like Oh, I'm sick of identity politics or wokeism or or whatever buzzword that they that they grifted off of Twitter. Um, but reading this, I wonder: is there something? Is there something more behind that that's been inarticulate? In what I've heard elsewhere, I want to say real quick. I think America has always been defined by by capitalism it's a capitalist society so therefore it's always been driven by greed and acquisition it's always in conquest uh whether that is material or or otherwise um it's it's always been driven by individualism america celebrates the individual like few other cultures in the world um our heroes are our heroes because of their mostly their individualism um, it is. It is defined by it. It's um, you know this the sort of the quote unquote American dream, which has been uh, which feels like a relic uh, these days. Yeah, but it, that it very has much always
0: feels out of date.
1: Feels out of date. It feels like it belongs in 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 the the nineteen fifties um but those things the greed the individualism the you know the meism um have always been tempered by america's um posture in the world and its projection of its values ideology and identity we derive a collective sense of identity in contrast to who we've been opposed to and we've been opposed to numerous ideologies uh states and individual actors uh over the years the problem is is this article i think one of the problem is it is in the culture as this article alludes to when it quotes uh, francis fukuyama as saying myopically that the end of the cold war was the end quote end of history unquote is that america is the most successful superpower in the history of the world it has fought and defeated the most powerful uh nations slash empires in the world it defeated the soviet union without entering into armageddon um we've accomplished incredible things on every front landed a man on the moon things like that um we derived our identity and our sense of national community, ideology from that, even though it was in, in contrast almost always with internal things. We stood up for human rights, values, religious freedoms, personal freedoms everywhere. We've killed I don't know how many people, millions of people in the world because of what they did to people you know, the Nazis' regards to the Jews, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. as at home, we told, we forced black people <laughs> to ride in the back of the bus. But nevertheless, America's national identity was in contrast to these things. Cut to today, post-Cold War, post-9-11, where even though we, we have threats in the world who are opposed to us, Our worst self is indistinguishable from our enemies. There is no difference in the behavior or values or spoken intent between Vladimir Putin and Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump or J.K. Rowling. There's none. These people all advocate for the same thing, which is what you have today, instead of Western democracy capitalism versus communism, Nazism, fascism, you have a global nationalism. You have a global white Christian nationalism which shares common values that some people vehemently believe reflect American values. Even though historically, that's not true, because of what I just said. Although Judeo-Christian American values have always driven our behavior, today, quote-unquote, Judeo-Christian American values are animating laws, violence, political uh, corruption, which are in contrast to American stated values regarding democracy and personal liberty. That, to me, is the shift. And so what does that have to do with Star Trek? You might be wondering, that is a big, for me, that's a big seismic shift in Star Trek's 1960s origins, which was simply a projection of Western ideal, forward, far, of plurality and liberalism to this discord and this disconnect, this decoupling from the main. Right. Which I think is what he gets, what I think he's starting to illuminate later in the article.
0: Yeah. And to me, that's kind of what I uh, like. I mean, let me just say this. I love discovery. I think it's a really interesting show. Um, And I think there is, I think there is validity in in recognizing that while there are stated beliefs, sometimes there are things that happen in the under in the underpinning that enforces those beliefs, and it, it, you know to me it comes with this awareness that, as you said, America has long stated its ideals, but. At the same time if you actually look through american history there's a lot of actions that undermine itself for example america tends to get involved in other countries that are democratically elected and they tend to put their thumb on the scales that's not democratic
1: so the question we ask ourselves then is: America the reality or the myth? Which is what Star Trek is asking itself right now.
0: Yeah.
1: Is Federation the reality or the myth? And, and it I seems think to, honestly a that's moment, a fair question. It's a fair question because Gene Roddenberry, his vision was very important to him, and it's a vision everybody, the the fans of the original series, and certainly since are extremely attracted to it's a it's it's a future in which the things that divide us today no longer exist and then when you start to have portrayals of the federation as anything other than imperfect people start to get anxious that really accelerated in deep space nine where you have this introduction for the first time of complexity and nuance and shades of gray to the point where captain cisco in the Pale Moonlight, we talked about this on the pod somewhere before, is complicit in the murder of a Romulan senator for the express purpose of dragging the Romulan Empire into a war in which billions of people die. Is that is that liberalism? It's realistic. Very realistic, right? Do I think it makes Captain Sisko and Deep Space Nine a fascinating show? I do. It's a fascinating show that has, that is reach may exceed its but my God,
0: the reach. My God. Right? Well, to me, that comes with another part of this, which is I think that in general, um, audiences are not after the simple good versus bad or the simple ideals anymore. I think people oh, yeah. are seeking more new mistakes. They
1: haven't been for a long time. You and I know this. I Oh, can I just... I forgot to say something real quick because eh, I was just about to talk about college. So can I just say real quick so you can go back to our regu- regularly scheduled <laughs> sure. Um, Congrats to the Iowa Hawkeyes women basketball team. We're going to the championship.
0: Hey, go Hawks.
1: Right. We're a pair of Hawkeyes. Caitlin Clark, all time. Um, just so excited, so happy. Okay, back to the program. Um, <laughs> college, as most people discover in college, you get a broader sense of the world. And as most people have discovered since the end of World War II, there postmodernism is this idea that we're talking about. Is this, is, is this, you know, in the broad sense, is a deeper consideration and understand Nothing is simply myth. Nothing is simply is what it is. Right. Um, th- these things are very complex. Human beings are very complex. We're never just one thing. We say one thing, <laughs> we do another. We do it every single day. Nations, empires, the United States of America says one thing and does another is it the myth or is it the reality star trek has been saying since about 1994 that the federation is both of those things it's the myth it's the ideal and there is a reality which is especially we have talked about this on the on the pod in that sequence in the in the spin-off era in the early 90s the federation was beset by in quick succession by the Borg invasion and the Dominion War and faced catastrophe on a scale it had never had before. It tested its ability to defend itself and it did, and it defeated both. Do you think it did that just because they were better people? They weren't. They weren't better people. They destroyed the Borg. They had the opportunity they destroyed the Borg. They defeated the Borg. They had the opportunity to destroy them. They chose not to. They took the opportunity to destroy the changelings by infecting them with a virus that threatened to eliminate their species. And only then later did Odo obtain the cure and prevent genocide. That's what the Federation did, or I should say, Section 31. I'll make no distinction. People like people, you know. People like, oh, well, Section Thirty-One's autonomous. No, it's not. Sure, because it still
0: works in service <laughs> of the Federation. So. That
1: that's all. That is that's just that's the CIA. The CIA does shit that the president doesn't know about, and that keeps us all safe. Yeah. So, um, that's what Section Thirty-One does. They had an opportunity to defeat an enemy that was on the verge of destroying the Federation, and they took it. Was it right or was it wrong? Genocide is wrong. The question is, and the dramatic question is in the show, is that was it justified what they did? Absolutely not. Genocide is not justifiable in any sense of the word. So why then did the Federation take this extreme step to do it? What does that say about the Federation's values? That's the fe- that's the fascinating thing. Is it realistic? Is it dramatic that there would be people within the Federation that would do anything to protect this perfect utopia ideal of course especially when you're looking at someone and you don't know who they are the changelings could be anybody
0: yeah and i right. to me personally i find that fascinating especially as a narrative structure like yeah. there are contexts where it makes a very compelling story equally I think that Oh, go mm-hmm.
1: ahead no no go ahead
0: well i was going to say equally i think that some stories, they—I don't want to say—go too far or anything like that. But some stories, they put it in when it's not necessary. Again, I—I bring the Joker. Joker is not necessary to go deeper into his psyche. Like I don't think that's necessary. I don't think it's necessary to make Optimus Prime a war survivor, and so taking someone's face is justifiable like those don't make sense
1: (laughs) nor is it superman breaking someone's neck is there a story where superman has to make a terrible decision to to save or defend people of course of course you can tell you can tell interesting stories about superman's Moral dilemmas you absolutely can do that and, and, and you know the difference between Superman and and in the Federation is very minimal They're both aspirational figures that Represent the ideal of humanity that these are things that we aspire to so There is a difference and I think this is important in these conversations and these debates that we have within fandom is that there is a difference between grim and gritty Badass That's, you know, Superman breaking people's necks. That's badass. This boy's sort of glib violence that people, you know, that people are like, oh, my God. And something like In the Pale Moonlight, which is a nuanced, literary, thoughtful deconstruction of war crimes. (laughs) There's a huge difference between those two things. And we can argue with all of them. We can say, you know, in the pale moonlight, to me, is arguably the best episode of Star Trek in the entire franchise. I think it's a remarkable hour of television. I think the audacity in that show, the throwing down of the gauntlet, the challenge to Roddenberry's vision, the the acting, the all of it, the the extraordinary moment where Captain Sisko is like, "Garrick, you played me, you you." You do have any idea what you've done, you've made me complicit in this, and Garrick is like, but this is what you wanted. You wanted me to do this. And you you didn't want to have your hands dirty and now they're not dirty. That is that the Federation? Is we're too pretty? We're not dirty. We just have someone else do it for us. Right? Is that a utopia? A character in Star Trek Picard season 3, so you guys haven't seen it yet, so no spoilers, says <laughs> you cannot have utopia. He says you cannot have utopia without crime. Someone has to get hurt. Someone has to get hurt.
0: I mean, that's that's always the the balance, right? Everything mm-hmm. has a cost somewhere.
1: Everything does. Even yeah. in a post-scarcity society that doesn't come for free the federation in every iteration of star trek going back to the original series there is a cost the federation is at odds immediately with the klingons and romulans they fought a war the romulan war with in the past uh the early history of the federation millions of people died the neutral zone was established because of this that was to fight and defend and preserve the federation's ideals The Federation proved before we saw anything in its fictional past that they would kill on a galactic scale to preserve their values. And they did. They did. And so cut to one thing I'll say about Star Trek Picard season one. A lot of people were unhappy. Like the Federation would never just let all these Romulan references. So the Romulan Sun goes supernova. This is something that the franchise inherits from the JJ Star Trek. I think it was smart to make that canon. but the Federation would never allow these Romulan refugees and these people just to to you know to to sort of potentially go extinct. Although I, the Romulans weren't in jeopardy of doing that because their empire was vast and they had resources, but it was it was this epochal thing that happened. So, Court, this is the same Federation that's been anti antagonistic towards the Romulans since the beginning. Of course, they would. end they would allow the Romulans to suffer to benefit them politically, especially following the Dominion War. Because guess who's driving the galaxy now? The Federation. It's over. The end of history. The Borg have been by, defeated. By the the way, Dominion is. Mm-hmm.
0: By the way, Picard sees one. It's not just the Romulan refugees, it's also the uh, anti-android sentiment that was in there. Like, androids aren't allowed to exist.
1: That, to me, was um, not successful in that particular season. But the Federation in the 25th century, in the Star Trek Picard era, is where America is, more or less. In the last 30 years it's at the quote-unquote end of history it has defeated its enemies it faces no external pressures it is in a state of co- cohabitation coexistence with the Klingons it has been for some time the Romulans are uh, at the very least destabilized um, the Borg are defeated the Dominion are defeated the the, the Federation is supreme in the galaxy and they are it makes sense that they would turn inward and they would then begin to struggle with their own who their identity who are we after we've been this for so long because in opposition right who are we that's a worthwhile question it's important to gene roddenberry and his legacy that that question is always front of mind Because it was so important to him, as it's so important to us, that this is the future he embodies. The idea that it could never be tested is something that we suffer with on a daily basis here in America. There's a big chunk of America that remains in perpetual shock that any of this is happening. Because they assumed it was over, that that was in the past.
0: But it's never in the
1: past. Our political moment, that this hostility, this anger, and this political violence... Against gays and lesbians and trans people, against the poor, against people of color, that this vicious, ignorant bigotry seems to have hold in the American consciousness. And they thought, well, we we elected an an African American president twice, therefore it must be over. It's not over. See, it's not over.
0: I would actually kind of add to that, say that 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 element was always in America. Like it, it just it, it always was. There are always things happening, of course, that we never of knew course. about. And so I think recently, with recent events. A lot of people who were in willful denial are experiencing a massive wake-up call to the fact that american reality has always been these elements have always been there and i think to come back to star trek i think that's one of the things that makes the this new generation compelling is that they're exploring those elements
1: I, I think in some cases it does. I do think early discovery in particular to me, I've said on the pod before it, 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 it early discovery is, is dominated by this grim and gritty uh, game of Thrones um, sort of sensibility, this modern cynicism, which drives a lot of modern entertainment. And that's yeah, reflected really in like the, the worldview, the characters, their behavior, the decisions I it was recently that we talked about this. I forget exactly which episode, but you know, some of the decisions they make, especially early on um, are, are just deeply reflective of this cynicism, which I, I find per it has made discovery very difficult to get into. As they've moved on in advanced, I don't find the show particularly engaging. Um, I, I I know that they're, they're they have moved past and now they've moved into the 31st century they've simply moved in, as this article states that they've simply moved into a future, which is even more bleak. That although the, the, the idea, the project of the series then becomes to carry forward that vision, the Federation vision, the Roddenberry vision into a future in which there, that division doesn't exist. So it should make sense, right? It should work. It's taken up the banner literally. And then carrying it forward into darkness. Well, that should be the thing, right? Why doesn't it work? Why why do people seem to bounce off Discovery? Why do people... Why do I find it difficult to get into? Why do I... Why do other people around me... Why are they celebrating? I wasn't celebrating when it got cancelled. I was actually a little bit surprised. Um, why why were people celebrating that it was over? And then why was there such hostility? People are like, I hate this show. This show is no good. This is the worst Star Trek. Is it... The things I talked about is it the 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 that 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 uh, cynicism at the beginning is part of it. Is it just it's just not interesting? Could be part of it. It does it is it you know what is it? I hear a lot of people talking about you know they're complaining about like how it in the future how one thing I hear consistently and I sort of dismissed was people are like, in the future, people would not be stopping every five minutes to talk, have these conversations uh, as they do on Discovery about uh, various aspects of their identity. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And, you know, they, most often they talk about uh, things that have to do with sexual identity. So they're, you know, gay, lesbian, or trans, or non-binary, or things like that. And I was like, but we've always talked about that on Star Trek, literally. <laughs> um, right. Data, when Data creates Lal, he says, I, I've given Lal the option of choosing their own gender. Um, when Jedzia runs into Kor and Kang and those guys, and and they're like, Kurzan, my old friend, and she's like, I'm Jed now, and they're like, Jedzia, my old friend, you know, like, it, they literally, like, whatever. Right? Right. But then, I think what this article is saying, and maybe, what maybe, question mark, what some people are saying is that we talked about it back then, but we didn't talk about it. We didn't we didn't address it. It was just how it was. Jadzia is a trans character, right? We didn't really ever talk about her that way, and we never questioned it, and no one seemed to be upset by it. Odo is a trans character. We never see him change into a woman, but he clearly possesses the ability to do so, right? Um, things like that. You know, Lal, a trans character, non binary character, things like that. So they're upset now that Discovery's talking about these things. So, so I was like, so why? is? And then they're well, they're talking about it. And they're like, you know, the, we don't have to stop and explain non binary. So you're upset about non binary or any of this stuff. So I'm just like, whatever. But then See, this article. I think, mm-hmm.
0: I, I think that actually comes to a, a very important point that. I think we should acknowledge uh, and I don't think we can like hide it away or not talk about it anymore which is that you know in the modern world that metaphorical layer is kind of stripped away now we're talking about things directly and it makes people uncomfortable because they don't want to talk about it and the other thing along those lines is when you force people to deal with marginalized communities sometimes people look even with more scrutiny at this at these properties I mean the question is look at Strange New Worlds Strange New Worlds is heavily praised but there's a lot in there that Michael did as well but suddenly that's praised
1: well let me address the metaphor part of it because this is actually this is always on my mind actually um the the this i identity and representation in fiction any pick a medium tv movies books comics is such an important thing these days and of course it is especially given what's happening um in this country when it comes to banning books and the clumsy uh maladroit uh attempts by uh republicans to uh, <laughs> take control of disney uh only to i won't i, I won't Did you guys you guys know the news you guys know you know they're taking some owls down there in florida Um, that is so important, right? It is so important to have that, to have media where people find, see themselves. And I've heard people say, if I want to see myself in something, I'll look in a mirror. That's really clever, but it's, it's also ignorant because you've always seen yourself in books and movies. It never once, right, we've talked about this on the pod, seeing yourself, right, a lot of people in the States never had to, wouldn't it be great if I could see myself on television or in the movies, and they never had to worry about it, because they looked at James T. Kirk, or they looked at Luke Skywalker, or they looked at Superman, and who did they see? They saw themselves, literally, in some cases. Whereas other people didn't. Now they could look at Superman or Luke and they could aspire or want to be like Superman. But in many cases, you know, they didn't. And so you have subtext. You have metaphor, which I think is still super important and necessary and vital. Go ahead.
0: Sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, but I want to add one more part to what you just said. Because for some people, it isn't just that they never see themselves as Superman. It's also that they only see themselves as the villain. So, yes. not only do you never get a chance to see yourself as a hero, you know, because then you're the middle child of history, the forgotten one. But compounding on that, you have another group of people that is consistently vil- villainized so the representation other yeah. is only the villain
1: yeah or or if it is presented it's done it's done so clumsily and poorly and which is very damaging because right. people see this and they and they think oh that this is how they all are whatever
0: i've had more conversations than i would like to believe where people will cite to be like sociological evidence and I'll ask about it more and more. And it's from a movie. It's from a TV show. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what, but, but that's not evidence. One of my favorite examples in my life is someone tried to convince me that women and men can't be friends. I'm like, what are you talking about? Of course they can. Well, no, for example when harry met sally they could be friends of like that's a fiction movie that's not real life
1: You're, you you can't it's a cite
0: mo- a movie as evidence for real life
1: it's a movie um
0: <laughs> majority
1: majority of my friends are women um it's always been that way um, it's it's people take so much from culture because we live in the age of pop culture and media. We're inundated by it, and so people do watch or read something, and they do take it as truth, which right. is bad. Some things are reflective of reality. the The difference is is are can you discriminate? Can you distinguish? Are you literate? Are, you know, are, are you? can you parse these things? That's the biggest. And media literacy is so important in a day and age where media is actively trying to deceive you, whether it's in an ad for soap or it isn't trying to convince you that the 2020 election was stolen or whatever um media literacy is more important than ever because our lives and our culture is dominated by media and when we get to the you know the myth versus reality thing that's why i think that the metaphor in fiction is so important still because it will always have currency as important as it is to have works art that features representation of very specific things. I think it's equally important and vital and necessary sometimes to employ metaphors because that is some way that is sometimes the only way for some artists to communicate what they're trying to say. It's sometimes the only way to reach certain audiences and it is successful it does reach people who are not naturally predisposed who would bounce off of oh i'm not going to read a book about a trans character and then they watch deep space 9 and they're like i love jedzia i love jedzia she's so cool you know she's trans what yeah no she's trans she used to be a dude right she's trans no no what and then but they're like but i love jedzia that you know and the, literally Star Trek's entire method the morality play the, the the metaphor has been to present all of these things that are race sexuality communism our enemies the Soviet Union the early history of Star Trek is about the Klingons evolving from this caricature stand-in for the Soviet Union and then evolving into a nuanced Probably the most complex fictional race slash empire in what would you say pop fiction? Maybe um, they're extremely complicated, and and they didn't stay static. They evolved. They became allies. They did all these things. You have Worf who is the the avatar for this, but you, it's full of all of of these things, right? That is almost all done through metaphor. It's extraordinary. The change links are a metaphor as well. I mean, that's all metaphor. I think what this article is saying to touch back on that is that modern Star Trek has abandoned the metaphor for the cheap, for the easy, for the grim and gritty in some cases, and that they, Alan Rome asserts, is reflective of an exhausted, as he says, liberalism. I disagree with that. I disagree with the notion that American liberalism is exhausted. I, I can ask Vladimir Putin um, how exhausted our liberalism is. Um, you can ask Donald Trump. Um, that doesn't mean that it's it's easy or or anything, but I, I it's not exhausted. It may be under attack, but it's it, it but it's evolving. And Star Trek is always reflective over a moment, even as it's the same time, it's aspirational. And I want to talk about Suga so Jump in any time here. But there is something I want to talk about.
0: Okay, uh, before we switch gears, I do want to bring up one point yep. about what you were saying, um, which is that I want both. I want both the metaphor and the literal. I want the representation where the mask is off, and I, and I want the metaphor. There's no reason to, just because... Some people cannot or won't engage with uh, marginalized communities. There's no reason to cater to them for only the metaphor stories. I, like, I understand yeah. that it's difficult for them to engage with literal stories. I get that. But that's, to me, that's no reason to hinder stories about marginalized communities to placate them.
1: No, never. It should never cater or placate or appease. What is the object of your art? What story are you trying to tell? You know, I've been feeling this conflict, I'll say very quickly, because I want to get to this other point. I feel this conflict with Stargun Messenger, much of my book that we've talked about, um, which is coming out in May, because um, it is a story which deals in the metaphor. It's a story that deals with identity, and it's in contrast to what Alan Rome is saying here, where he's saying that identity is the end of history, and it's changeless through the ages, as he says, where in a Stargate messenger, identity is fluid and ever-changing and ever-evolving. Stargate messenger is a metaphor for a couple things. And that will become immediately obvious or not, depending on your approach to it. It's a a metaphor. Astra Adari, the main character, is a metaphor. Her experience is a metaphor for being autistic. Her experience is a metaphor for being trans. And so yesterday, as we record this, was the National uh, Trans Day of Visibility. And it's important to me that people know what Adari's story is. And I think people will recognize Adari's story. And they'll understand it it's also important to me that people will come to it differently and they'll bring different that their experience their challenge and their journey they can find themselves in a adari even if it's not exactly hers do you know what i mean mm-hmm. right so that's important to me as the artist right if even that's though i know,
0: does matter
1: it does matter and Adari is representative of certain things. Adari is a lesbian. I know you guys, have, you're shocked. But Adari is representative of things. And she is trans. That, be, that, is, becomes, that becomes obvious in the text. But she is a metaphor for that. She is a metaphor for being autistic because in her galaxy, in her universe, it's not quite ours, right? But that actually leads me into, I don't want to belabor that. But I think about that all the time, because I want to be able to talk about this. And I also want people to be able to talk about it. Um, That leads me to what my point I wanted to get into, which is in towards the end of the article. Where Alan Rome, the essays writer, talks about this new wave of Star Trek. So the modern Star Trek harboring a pessimistic view of the future that emerges from a particular contemporary sensibility and so quote implicit in these shows is a sense of the end of history as overdeveloped cul-de-sac a place that is bleak but offers nowhere else to go In these visions of the future consciousness has indeed reached its final stage which is not rational self-realization but the recognition of history's true, na- true nature is a series of long oppressions People seek emancipation from this oppression to fulfill their authentic group identity. And in a permanent reification of difference, sexual and racial identities are treated as changes through the ages, unquote. I think this, there's a couple things here. I think this is myopic, as Francis Fukuyama was. And a, a long series of oppressions sounds like what? Sounds like the long defeat. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't. There's there's a couple ways you can think about the long defeat if you're a Catholic, as Tolkien was, and as I am. Tolkien's conception was history is the the advancement through defeat towards the resurrection. For me, the long defeat is the recognition that this is never over. It's not that you're losing. It's that it's never over. It's what I was talking about earlier. It's, it, you, you've won. My grandfathers, they fought in World War II, they defeated Nazi Germany. It should be over. It's never over. This idea that we've reached a terminus, a terminal, because people are now realizing their individual identity or group identity. So all of a sudden, gays and lesbians now have recognition. Therefore, we've reached the end of history. And therefore, history and humanity is now, all of a sudden, as you have trans people, is now all of a sudden non-transmutable?
0: What? See, the way I <laughs> interpret this. Yes. Yes this idea of we've reached our final stage, but it's not rational self-realization what we should be, but the recognition of true nature. I kind of see it as the author not really liking that a lot of stories now are recognizing just how oppressive society has been to a lot of marginalized people it has never been just one group but we keep discovering more and more groups of people that we have fucked over
1: myth versus reality the myth is humanity has always been this thing the reality is fucking no it has been something very much different right humanity is extraordinary, diverse and complex because it's a product of of a planet which is extraordinarily diverse in its nature. You know, when people talk about nature, they often talk about evolution and adaptation and how the you know, it's the reason why nature endures and survives because it adapts. Yes, but what is it actually doing? It's diversifying. It's diversifying. That's why there are so many different species of everything. Why is that? Why should nature just settle on a thing? You know why it doesn't? Because you can destroy one thing, right? Right. You can contaminate one thing. An asteroid can wipe out one thing. You know what the asteroid didn't wipe out? It didn't wipe out the dinosaurs. You want to know why? Because they were like, you know what's cool? Let's turn into birds cool (laughs) whatever suck it asteroid so that diversity is nature's only end it's its only end and so is humanity that's our only end the idea that we're going to stop diversifying now as we're just realizing that oh wait we're super fucking we're just started Because we're actually evolving and adapting and diversifying into the machine. We're going to start tampering with our own DNA, our future. The myth versus reality crux that people are frustrated with, I think, you tell me if I'm wrong, is not that Star Trek has always been pluralistic. It always has been. And And people appreciate that you know a big reason i take a lot of my values as a kid i grew up because i was watching star trek it never occurred to me that you, that it was strange to have a black woman on the bridge of the enterprise never occurred to me that it was weird to have storm lead the x men
0: why would? But that's also 20 years that passed the the civil rights movement
1: it is but but you, but what i'm saying is is that 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 it's it's message and its aspiration spoke to me and it presented a reality, which then I then carried forward into into the real world. And I said, of course, it's not strange, and it shouldn't be strange. And and you know, there there is, and now we have a black woman vice president. It's not strange, but coupled with that, in Star Trek from the beginning has been what? It's been the projection of Western white male hegemonic society yep. from the beginning from the beginning so what's changed what's changed is not the diversity part it's always been there it's here now it's a little bit louder and maybe some people are uncomfortable with it and that if you're uncomfortable with it you're uncomfortable with it because it may be alien to you but that shouldn't be a problem because cling okay but but what's decoupled is is the hegemonic part and the realization is that the future will not look like Star Trek. Want to know why? Because in the twenty our twenty fifth century, humanity will not look like us. It won't. It won't behave like us, and it probably won't behave exactly like the Federation. Because it it'll be a humanity which will be a product of an environment, of technology, of 300 years 400 years of history which haven't been lived yet right it's going to continue to grow and change and evolve and it won't be a it won't be gene roddenberry's vision of the future in the sense that it won't it won't be western projection of those types of things will it reflect will future humanity as its bedrock continue to sort of stand on classic judeo-christian american western values probably got to hope so given where we're at right at the moment will they be different will there be a post judeo-christian american western there might be there probably needs to be honestly because at least here in the states that we we you know we're very dislocated from our values at times but we don't know but the problem is is that old white guys in their 50s and 60s, are watching these shows. And young. They watch the show, and they're sort of old men, young, at the clouds. And they're like, Discovery is led by a black woman. It's populated mostly by women. Their cast is 60-70% women. The white guy, I'm, I'm rolling through the head, the white guy, Stamets, is gay. People are like, you know like this is this, vis- this is Gene Roddenberry's this is Gene Roddenberry if you told Gene Roddenberry that the future was a bunch of women riding around a spaceship he would be like yeah like just <laughs> let me get on let me get on board like you know um, but the difference is, that thing has changed you know there are there are individual okay c- JJ Abrams concept of Star Trek was was ill considered early discovery was ill considered uh this early Star Trek: Picard, I think, was infected by the same sort of recency bias when it came to these things. But in the in the main and the larger thing, what we're talking about when we just when we when we rest our argument on this idea that sexual and racial and group and ethnic identity are somehow terminals for history and therefore frustrate the 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 progress and liberalism that is fundamentally myopic and and it's it it, it's a misunderstanding of liberalism and the you know like i said identity identity diversity is is expansionism it's plurality it's evolution and this isn't the end and people are gonna continue to evolve you know the american identity will continue to evolve the world identity will continue. Humanity will, and humanity will be different. And S- Star Trek will be different because it'll be made by different people at different times. And if there's going to be sh- Star Trek shows 50 years from now, they'll be very different from the shows that we're watching. Hopefully, they carry some of that the same ethos, but they'll be very different because they'll be speaking from a different point in time.
0: Yeah. I mean, I... That's the thing. Like, I think... I think there is value in exploring the deeper lore of any of these established franchises. But I also think that a lot of people, and I've had many, many conversations with people who are all about equal rights until their own power gets threatened. Which they're all about like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Everyone's equal. Yeah, everyone's the same. I don't see color. Everyone's the same. And then when their power is threatened, suddenly everyone's uncomfortable. And they don't really know why. They can't articulate why. They're just like, well, I just don't, I don't know. I just get an icky feeling. And I I, I don't know. It's just something about it is just icky. And... In, in, in my, my experience... Progress, progressivism stops. Right.
1: In my experience, it is people feel disadvantaged for whatever reason. And they see someone who they perceive as then getting something. And in the case of marginalized groups or people, they're getting recognition. And... People who feel marginalized themselves, even though they may be they may belong to a group, a group which has cultural uh, primacy, they feel disadvantaged and they're threatened by that. And then that's exploited. And this this fear and hysteria and ignorance and, and this malice from the republican side here in the states where this idea that something is being taken from you because gay people are allowed to be themselves or african americans can
0: vote well think about what is being taken what in the narrative in that way that the the way that the grift works what is being taken away what are they selling is as tape being taken away
1: um you'd have to ask one of them what appears to be what appears to be the, the main threat or the main driver is the idea that they're being re- quote unquote replaced. When I hear people talk about this, they're like, well, they're taking this or they're taking that soon. There won't be this or soon there won't be that. I was like, I, I don't know what you mean by any of that because you, you, you don't work anyway. You, you weren't going to, you weren't, You weren't going to go apply for that job anyway. You weren't going to go apply for a small business loan. I hear things like in town, in Waterloo, where I live, is a very diverse community. We have a very large Bosnian-American population. And there's a lot of great Bosnian restaurants and bakeries and uh, uh, small businesses in town. And you would hear that shit all the time. It's like, well, I don't know how they can get, how do they get loans for that Well, typically what you do is you go to the bank and you apply for a loan. But you weren't ever going to do that. Did you want to start a small business? Cool. Come up with a business plan and go apply for a loan. Did you want to work that job? Go apply for that job. Oh, you don't want to work. Oh, you don't, you actually don't, you just want to complain. You know, shit like that. That's what it is. I don't ever hear from successful people about what they don't have. <laughs> that's just the bottom line. Successful people yeah. never tell me what they don't have. They tell me what they want. Right? Yeah. So, that's in, the way I look at it. degree. <laughs> yeah, no, they're like, I, I want to do this, and this is what I'm doing to do it. Right? And if they don't have it, what, what are the obstacles? What are the, what are the challenges? And what am I going to do to try to overcome them? You know, it's not, oh, you know, I can't because this person or this group, or I'm tired, I can't turn on the TV anymore because gays and lesbians. Change the channel. You don't even have the power to change the channel. That's what you're telling me. What is the end of history? The end of history is racial and sexual identity. No, the end of history is motherfuckers can't change the channel. You've lost the ability to apply your thumb to that button on the remote.
0: I remember... When I was a kid... When I was a kid... Back when we were in high school, the uh, the issue was... What was it? I think it was probably like MTV and how it's corrupting people. Oh, and man. there was some pastor that went on the big old tirade about it. I'm like... Did you not know how to change the channel? MTV was a cable thing, so you had like 36 other channels to choose from.
1: These establishment has always been hostile to the anti-establishment and the avant-garde because they don't ever want diversity. Why don't they want diversity? Because it challenges power structures. Because the minute someone's like, wait a minute... <laughs> You start thinking outside the box. You st- you what? You start changing shit, because riding in the back of the bus is bullshit. Because 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 um, sending uh, gays and lesbians to the asylum is bullshit. Because political violence is bullshit. So they're always going to challenge They're doing it now. They're trying to do it now. They're always going to try to do it because it's a human thing. It's a human thing, which is why. I don't mind the darkness i don't mind the nuance i don't mind the complexity in star trek it's a human thing we will never conquer this
0: well, that was always to, the point of star trek is to question it, it, to yes. explore to find out about yep. exactly
1: about this and and as humanity evolves and advances and goes into the cosmos we will be confronted by things that challenge who we are <laughs> physically mentally spiritually we will become different by virtue of our experiences that's what's happening to the federation and gene Roddenberry's vision right and and it's fine to question and it's fine to say hey man i don't i don't this doesn't feel right and it's also fine to say that that um to understand that humanity will always grapple with its with its tendencies to regress to retreat because we're 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 finite beings that are motivated by personal fear and when we get together in groups we're motivated by fear in ways that we have little control of that will always be true that will always be true
0: well there's one thing about that though like what you know one thing i noticed but when i was in when i was in high school you know and everyone's forming their little social cliques and I wasn't part of any clique. Uh, No one would want me. But uh, so what I noticed is that when you create a group or when you're part of a group whose identity is defined by who isn't part of the group, you're running into problems. Like, we are Christians and Christians means we're not like these other people. Right? Like, when you're Group identity definition is based on who isn't included, you are going to have a problem. And you're going to end up being more clicky. And your and it's grasp false. on excluding people is going to only grow more and more. However, that being said, what I've also noticed is the opposite. When you create a group that your definition of the group or you the identity of the group is more internal it's more inclusive that creates more inclusion that creates more welcoming and it creates a much better uh well in my case work environment friend groups like you're not defining yourself but for example when we were in ireland the red books versus the blue books <laughs> we were defining our group by who wasn't in it.
1: We're, well, I suppose we were, but there, there were—I uh, seem to remember Sugu, there were some uh, folks that crossed over to our side that were allowed into the group. Yeah.
0: allowed they were in the group (laughs) right do you see what i mean even in that language that betrays the the idea right we were we were an exclusive group because we wanted to be exclusive
1: there was some clickiness uh very much so in that group and there was also some jealousy and envy as we found out late in the summer yeah. There was some other uh, we were there were numerous groups there at Trinity and we found out one night that their other ones were jealous of it jealous of us and I, I think we probably were happy with that. <laughs> there seemed to be some right. pride
0: um, so because we defined our group by excluding others. We were the only. I mean I, we were there uh, everyone else was just studying abroad. Come on, man! I had these conversations with people. I disagreed with them
1: then. I don't remember like I don't remember any willful sort of like oh I do remember an us versus them sort of solidified at one point because there was there were people that did try to um, join the group and there were a few that were that became part of our group and then there was I definitely sort of a resistance. It felt like at one point we became very um this is super no one cares about this this is super (laughs) inside baseball um we uh we became at one point very insular in the group um and i think um i i don't regret that because we all became very close and we got and that was a very special time and you know um um, we we you know that that was that was just what happened. We we became all became very fond of each other, and we spent a ridiculous amount of time together. Um, uh,
0: one, I would not say all, uh, but two, I would I would say you know continue on my point though that when after we pretty much excluded the other group and we were <laughs> kind of bonding right, then we found ways to exclude people within the group. Like it was just this ever closer or smaller group of clicks within clicks within clicks.
1: Um, I never, I never got down with the click shit. Um, I got uh, ran over one night by, uh, by one episode in particular, some people trying to do that. I just, I wasn't part of it. I wouldn't be part of it. I wouldn't be pulled into it. Uh, I got along with everybody. Um, you know, I wanted everybody to get along um so that you know that was that type of shit and so the high school shit and sort of the internal drama sure that there's always stuff with that but um you know i try to stay out of that i try to avoid that i always try to avoid that you know that doesn't that bores the shit out of me like that stuff i just you know yeah
0: and to be honest like i didn't like it either but i still was affected by it
1: well um at the risk of of uh point
0: right like kind even going yeah. back to Star Trek and you know the future of humanism, people the the audience might not like representation of marginalized communities, but they still exist. They're still impacted. Hmm.
1: So yeah, at, at the at the at the risk of uh, turning this into. Uh, uh, <laughs> the we should do it we should do a podcast at the Trinity College 2000 podcast <laughs> look back <laughs> um what, what what exactly like what what aspect there's a couple things I'm thinking of but what aspect were you thinking of when you're talking you about that when when you're saying in terms of being affected by the click what which aspect are you talking about
0: oh I mean, uh I was excluded in a couple places. I mean, some of it was convenient, but through convenience, you know, I harbor no ill will, but it was, and I didn't have the wherewithal back then to, to do anything about it. So, yeah. But my, my point is that if you, when you define your group by inclusion measures, you're going Mm -hmm. to bring more people in. That was my entire point.
1: When you find your group
0: by exclusion, by who isn't in it, eventually you're going to turn on, after you've excluded everyone, you're going to turn within your group and start excluding those people. And you can argue whether that's human nature or not.
1: Oh, there's certainly an element of human nature to it. Um, You know, it is, uh, we have two impulses in us as human beings, and one is preservation because um, of our circumstances. Um, And um, that leads to a lot of uh, conservative behavior, which makes sense, and a lot that doesn't. And we're also intrepid, and we're also curious, and we're also always expanding and evolving. Those both of those things have always been true, and they'll always be true.
0: Sure. And I think that's and then, and, that's the pull of Star Trek, right? Is that it was mm-hmm. supposed to try and do both of those? Because, as you said, Gene Roddenberry's first and foremost question: Who are we? Who
1: are we? And Gene Roddenberry was a World War II veteran and he was someone who was very concerned with the state of the world as when he created Star Trek in 1966, as he was until he passed, as he would be today. He'd be very concerned. Gene Roddenberry, were he here today, would be out front and he'd be pounding his hand on the podium and he'd be screaming at these Republicans and these... uh, uh, things that get stuck on the bottom of your shoe every time they start talking so uh, of course he would and would he be angry about maybe the state of start, current Star Trek? I think so I think he'd be like human beings in the future don't <laughs> there's no grim and gritty there's no... I I think he'd be upset but you know Gene Gene's vision is Gene's vision and, and that's worthwhile and we have it and, and that's not going to go anywhere It's it's how it's It's how it's taken forward into the future as the franchise evolves. And, um, you know, and it's important in the same way that it is important for other authors and other auteurs uh, in their respective art and work. And so I thought, yeah, maybe we'll kind of leave it there. Um, You know, I thought that's an interesting article to discuss. It's kind of stuff that's kind of been on the mind and certainly in the Star Trek ethos. And, um, um so I thought we'd kind of share it. We'll, again, we'll link to it in the description. Any final thoughts to you on all that?
0: Uh, <laughs> I think we could keep talking for much, much yeah, longer yeah. about every fine point within it. So I'm actually just going to stop now and let let this episode be done. Okay. All right. <laughs> How about you? Any final thoughts?
1: No, I think I'm good. Um, it was a good. It was a good conversation. It's always... Um, it's good to think and talk about. It. I will say that. Final thought. I will say it is... Star Trek is not something... Recent modern Star Trek has not given me a lot to think about. And it's good to think about it again. It's good to chew on it and debate it and, and uh, push and pull over it because a lot of it including the jj movies and some of the early uh paramount plus stuff is it's not does does not make me think and um and so i think that's a good thing and for people who want to carry on this conversation and kind of give us give us your thoughts get a hold of us um Let us know if there's something that um, we missed or we uh, hadn't considered. Give us your thoughts. Let us know. That'll do it for today, folks. Thanks again for joining us. Once again, I'm Darby Harn, and you can find more information about me and my books at my website, DarbyHarn.com. I'm also on Twitter at Darby Harn. Sugu, how can they find out more about us in the podcast?
0: You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can reach us at our email address, shelfwarmers at gmail.com. Send us feedback about the show, your thoughts, opinions, recommendations, and insights on our perspectives. We're always happy to hear from you, our audience, and we'd love to share your opinions on our next show. Again, that's shelfwarmers at gmail.com. And if email isn't your thing, we're also on Twitter. You can reach us at shelfwarmers. Give us a holler. We have new episodes every Friday. As always, remember to stay safe, wash your hands, practice social distancing, and get vaccinated when you can. Stick around to listen to a free clip of more content from us. Subscribe today and you can hear the rest of the following and more. Bye-bye.